0: Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, so great to uh, worship together. If you're joining us online, want to welcome you. I uh, hope you're having a restful holiday weekend. Uh, given the fact that uh, July 4th uh, happens to fall on a Sunday this year, um, I-, I would be remiss, I think, not to at least say a few words about it. Um, you know, th- to be honest, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, when I became an American citizen, uh, I was— 23 years old, and um, you know, I remember uh, that being such a huge day for me. Um, I grew up, like many of you, uh, with parents who immigrated to this country. Uh, I grew up watching them struggle and sacrifice to make a living uh, for me and my brother. Um, and then I went off to college. Um, I actually majored in American history. And so then a few years later, to actually finally become an American citizen was like this culminating moment. It was a huge milestone for me. Um, But at the same time, I I think like many of you, um, these past few years, um, I think a lot of us have had to wrestle with what it means to be an American. Um, I think a lot of us have had to reckon with the parts of our history that are um, pretty complicated and and frankly, shameful. Um, And and, you know, I I kind of, before we kind of get into the word, I wanna give us maybe two things that I feel as followers of Jesus uh, how we might respond to this kind of uh, to this kind of dynamic, and the first thing I would say is this: uh, number one, I think as believers we need to learn how to live in tension. You know, I think it's actually okay to be proud and thankful to live in America, uh, to live uh, in a place where we have access to freedoms that um, a lot of people around the world don't have access to. Um, I think it's also okay and actually very necessary to be critical of the ways that America has often not lived up to its ideals, Um, be critical of the ways that um, a lot of times this country has been set up and in some sense is still set up to um, benefit some and marginalize others. And I think it's okay to feel both conflicting emotions. Um, I think we're living in a world right now where everyone wants us to be black and white about everything where you're either 100% for something or you have to be 100% against it. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to live in that grace space. We need to learn how to live in tension. I would say the second thing I'll say is this. Uh, As believers, our primary allegiance has never been to a country, to an ideology, or to a political party. Um, You know, I think this doesn't mean that we shouldn't be actively engaged in politics. This doesn't mean we shouldn't be, uh, seek to be the best possible earthly citizens, no pun intended, that we can be, um, but I, I think at the same time, we have to remember that what unites us as a church, especially in a polarizing culture like the one we live in, is not our loyalty to America, but really our allegiance to Christ and His kingdom. Okay, and so I just wanted to mention that before we get into the Word today. Uh, If you want to talk about that further, um, you can email our community life director, Tanaquan. She's sitting over there. Um, Please feel free to do that. Um, But with that, um, always uh, a privilege to be able to deliver God's word for us. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 14. If you can choose your translation, uh, we're going to be looking at the NIV. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 13, uh, verses 5 to 14. This is the reading of God's word. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand of the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling at Bikmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Amen. Um, This summer, uh, if you've been with us, you know that we are in a series called Unlearn and Relearn. And and it's really our way of trying to get a little bit more practical with this idea that when when you become a Christian, it's it's so much more than adopting a set of beliefs. Um, It's, as the Apostle Paul says, a putting putting off of the old self and a putting on of the new self. It's this idea that um, all of us are in this lifelong journey of unlearning and relearning. And each week this summer, we're talking about one thing we need to unlearn, one thing we need to relearn, and how the gospel helps us to get there. So if you remember, in week one, we talked about moving from busyness to presence. And then we talked about moving from fear to faith. And last week, we looked at moving from comparison to contentment. And today, uh, we're talking about control, okay? Control. Uh, Raise your hand if if you're a control freak, okay? Okay. There's no shame. It's a safe space, all right? I see some hands kind of like, you know, control, for You know, okay? Um, an over-planner, right? These are the people who plan out their vacations to the minute, okay? People who need things to be a certain way all the time. Uh, these are the people who stand behind you while you're doing the dishes to make sure you're doing the dishes the right way. And then afterwards, they always redo the dishes because most likely you did it the wrong way. Um, or my favorite, these are the backseat drivers, right? The backseat drivers. Um, I love my wife, she's sitting over there, but um, she is the backseat driver of all backseat drivers, okay? Uh, we are sometimes like a 1,000 feet from the traffic signal and she's like left, 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 <laughs> right? Um, like, you know, the, the people who, the light turns green and, and they're like, go, go. And you're like, give me a minute to take my foot, foot off the brake, right? And and I see some of you kind of side-eyeing the person next to you, but I would say that all of us in this room, if we were to really examine ourselves, have some area in our lives we love to be in control. For some of us, it's at work. For some of us, it's in the home. For some of us, it's our kids. Uh, and, And it makes sense, because when the world feels like it's spinning out of control, we will do anything to give ourselves some sense of stability, some sense of security amidst all the chaos. You know, when I think about 2020, it was a year when just the, in the entire world felt like it was imploding. Right? It was, it was a year when, like, no matter, no matter if you were a type A person who wanted to control everything, Who wanted to plan your wedding out to the minute, there was no way you could escape the tornado that was 2020 that really came in and rearranged everything. You know, I've been watching the uh, Olympic trials recently, and can you imagine being an Olympic athlete having to watch 2020 unfold? Right? All that preparation and planning, all the effort that it takes to get your mind and body ready to compete. Um, Just all the things that have to fall perfectly in place, and then 2020 rolls around, and someone's like, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. I mean, can you imagine how disorienting that would have been? And you would think that for many of us, having been through 2020, having experienced a year like that, we would step back and say, hmm, maybe things are not in my control. Maybe control is an illusion, but that isn't how we responded, is it? Many of us actually found things in our lives where we felt like, no, we can still control that. And we tried to control those things, and we tightened our grip on those things, not realizing that when we start to control things that aren't ours to control, we usually end up bringing more instability and more chaos into our lives than ever before. Have you ever tried to mediate a conflict uh, with two friends? You know, you weren't supposed to meddle in that conflict, but you decided, you know, I want to do something good uh, for these friends. And so you got involved. Uh, You tried to help. You were trying to control the outcome. You wanted both friends to like each other. Uh, You spun the story one way to one person, spun the story another way to another person. In the end, the end result was worse than when it started. And we do stuff like this all the time because there's something in us that likes to be in control. And I know the text we're looking at today is going to resonate with us because it's the perfect picture of what happens when we try to control things that aren't ours to control. How the more we try to control something, the more we lose it. And let me just give you some context. The story in 1 Samuel 13 is a story in the life of Saul, who is Israel's first king. Okay? And, and when you read the story of Saul, it's kind of frustrating. Okay? Because you have this guy who, uh, in the beginning, like right before this, He basically does everything you're supposed to. You know, he is a guy that was handpicked, anointed by the prophet Samuel. Samuel holds up Saul in front of all the Israelites and says, this is the guy God has chosen. There is nobody like him. So he comes, he has the favor and blessing of God on him, and then he makes one mistake here in chapter 13 that has devastating consequences. And at the beginning of this chapter, you have Saul's son, Jonathan, who decides to poke the bear a little bit, which is the big bad Philistine army. And so the Philistines are upset. They're getting ready to fight the Israelites, and the Israelites aren't ready. So they're obviously getting anxious. They're getting scared. They're getting antsy. Listen to what it says in verses 6 to 8. It says, When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. Okay, so Saul's men are scared, and they're waiting for Samuel the prophet to come and bless them because in those times, um, only certain people could perform certain rituals. And so Samuel says, I'll be there in seven days, wait for me. Well, for whatever reason, Samuel's late. And so Saul is like, okay, uh, my men are starting to scatter. I don't know what to do. And he decides to take matters into his own hands. He says, go bring me that burnt offering. I'll offer it myself, right? He decides to take control of the situation. And then and, and Samuel gets there and, and he says, Saul, what have you done? And I love uh, Saul's response. He does what basically all of us do when we try to justify our need to control. He basically uh, blames it on the circumstances, and then he rationalizes it by trying to say he was doing something good. He says, well, I mean, you were late, so what did you expect me to do? Obviously, I did not want to go into battle without God's favor, so I had to just I had to take control. I had to take, I had to take matters into my own hands. And when you think about it, isn't that what we all do? When people call us out for being controlling, when people call us out for trying to control things that aren't ours to control, we love to blame the circumstances or rationalize it by trying to say we're doing something good. Think about the parents, right, who try to control their kids, who try to dictate every life decision, who are so afraid of letting their children just make mistakes and think for themselves, who need their children to follow a very specific blueprint for life that they've created for them. What do they say? Well, I mean, I'm doing it only because I love them. I'm doing it because I want the best for my children. And these are the same parents who are asking what happened when their kids go off to college and they go off the rails. Right? The more we try to control, the more we lose it, right? Churches are notorious for this, over-spiritualizing things in order to control their members, right? Keeping victims of spiritual abuse silent. Why? In the name of protecting the church, in the name of doing something good for God, not realizing that the end result is never better than when it started. Think about people who find themselves in toxic relationships that they should not be in, right? I hear it all the time. People say, well, I mean, I'm in this relationship uh, with this guy, he is wrong for me. All my friends tell me, like, I need to get out of this relationship. It's wreaking havoc on my soul, but I don't know. You know, I've been waiting. I know I've been waiting for a long time for God to provide me with a good guy. Nothing's happened. I don't wanna be single forever. You know, I'm willing to date the next guy that just comes in. You know what, I'll make it work. Or even worse, we start saying things like, you know what, sometimes I think maybe God brought this person into my life so that I could change him, so that I could be the one. You know, maybe this is for my benefit, for my maturity, and usually you'll hear me say, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's it. And yet this is what we do when we're afraid, We try to force certain outcomes. We try to rationalize bad decisions. And the more we try to control, the more we lose it. And this is what happens to Saul. Samuel comes back and he looks at what's happening. He says, what have you done? It says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Your attempt to control the outcome of this situation regardless how, of how good your intentions were, have just cost, cost you this kingdom, have just cost you everything you worked so hard for. And when I first read this, man, I felt bad for Saul. I mean, that feels unfair. I mean, how are you going to take that kingdom away? How are you going to take this thing away that means so much to him because of one mistake? You know, it it, it doesn't seem to make sense, but listen to what Samuel says in verse 14. He says, But now your kingdom will not endure. And then he says, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Samuel is saying, At the end of the day, it's not that one mistake. It's It's not what Saul did. It was the posture of his heart. It was the posture of a heart that wanted to do it his way. You see, at the heart of control is the belief that I know better than God, that my timing is better than God's timing, that if I don't take care of it, nobody will. Well, what's the alternative? If we need to unlearn control, what's the alternative? What do we need to relearn? And it's a dirty word in our culture, but it's this word called surrender. And why I say it's a dirty word is because the word "surrender" often feels like weakness. It feels like defeat. And yet that's the point. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, "Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses my life, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it." Jesus' kingdom doesn't belong to the winners. Jesus' kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit. To the ones who are willing to acknowledge their need, to the ones who are humble enough to say, I'm not in control. And friends, let me tell you, it is so freeing to be able to say, I'm not in control. This doesn't mean that surrender is easy. It doesn't mean that once we do it once we got it made it's not like one of those things where we say God I surrender it all to you we heard in youth group just let go and let God you know this one-time thing and all of a sudden things go well no surrender is difficult and like everything else we're talking about all summer surrender is learned it is a daily habit it is a daily decision to say God this is not mine to control. This person is not mine to control. This situation is not mine to control. You're in control. It's a daily decision to say, God, I have no idea how I'm going to do this presentation. I'm just going to do the best I can, and know it's in your control. It's to wake up and say, I'm just going to love my husband or wife the best that I can, but in the end, I know that I can't make them become the person that I want them to be this is in your control. I'm not the one who can change them. Now, one caveat uh, I want to make here is that to surrender something is not to give up on the situation altogether, okay? To surrender your job search doesn't mean you stop searching for your job, okay? It doesn't mean, you know what, I'm just going to do nothing and just believe God's going to take care of it. No, no, Surrendering something, is uh, to surrender is not to give up on a situation, it's to give up on the notion that you actually have the ability to control the situation. Two very different things. To surrender your relationship to God is not saying, this relationship is a lost cause, so I'm not going to work on it anymore. No, it's surrendering the notion that you have the ability to change the heart of another person. To surrender is to change, uh, to surrender is to relinquish the belief that you have the capacity and the ability to change your situation. So we keep submitting those job applications. We keep seeking restoration and healing. We keep praying for people, but at the end of the day, we say, but God, you're in control. Um, I think the best way I've heard it um, illustrated is that control is like being in a small boat paddling upstream, where you just feel like, if if I stop paddling at any moment, I'm dead and you're, you're kind of paddling against the current, and it's exhausting. But surrender is like turning that boat around and letting the current pull you. You still have to do the work of turning that boat around, but at the end of the day, you let the current pull you. This is what our relationship with God should look like. So here's the big question for everyone here today. What is the thing, what is the one area of your life that you need to surrender? What is is the thing today that you're trying, you have this tight grip on, whether it's your future, your finances, a relationship, some kind of situation, what is the thing you need to say, God, this isn't mine to control, you're in control? Because often, I think, you know, one way we can figure that out is look at the places in your lives that are giving you the most stress and anxiety, because usually you'll find the things that you're trying to control. Because this is what paddling upstream feels like. Stressful, exhausting, anxiety-inducing. So what is that thing for you? Because I guarantee you, you can swim upstream for a while, but at some point, your arms are going to get tired, and it's going to kill you. So either you're going to choose surrender, or the circumstances are going to be such, the current's going to get too strong, and you're going to be forced to surrender. Well, if that's the case, how do we choose surrender? How do we choose surrender over control? Is it just sheer willpower? Do we just say, you know what, I'm going to let go of this? Because that's, I mean, that's hard to do. That's way easier said than done because, I mean, how are you going to convince me that to surrender this relationship when on the other side of surrendering this relationship is loneliness for the next few years? How are you going to convince me to surrender my kids to you when on the other side of this surrender could mean that my kids make some really bad decisions in life? How are you going to convince me that it's not better to just be a helicopter parent, to just dictate everything they do? And it's true. It's so easy for me as a pastor to stand up here and say, just surrender these things to God. It's a totally different thing to be in Saul's shoes and basically stare at a situation in which your inaction could have devastating circumstances. To stare at a situation where if I don't do something now, if I don't take control of this situation right now, these people are going to kill my men. Very difficult to do. And so it makes sense why this isn't a new problem. We see this pattern from the beginning of the Bible to the very end, people having a difficult time surrendering. We see it in the opening pages of Scripture. When you look at the book of Genesis, take Adam and Eve. God creates this world perfectly. He gives them one command. He tells them, don't eat from that tree. And what do they do? At some point, they decide to take matters into their own hands. They decide to trust themselves over God. And what do they do? Devastation. Right? And God seeks them out in the garden, and he he asks the same exact question Samuel asks Saul. What have you done? And the response is exactly the same. She made me do it. And then she says, the serpent made me do it. Blame the circumstances. Rationalize it. The very next story after Adam and Eve is the story of Cain and Abel right? Cain is upset that Abel is getting all the attention, so what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands, kills his, kills his brother in cold blood. God comes around, asks the same question again, what have you done? What have you done? And again, blame shift, rationalize. We do this all the time. If you think about the story of Abraham and Sarah, God promises them a child. He says, I'm going to give you a child. Well, they don't want to wait. They put God on their timetable, and they say, I don't know. I don't trust that. I don't trust your timing. And so what do they do? They, they come up with a plan, and Abraham sleeps with his maidservant, uh, Hagar, which, again, creates a devastating ripple effect that we're feeling to, to this day. Now, if the sermon ended here, very depressing sermon, okay? Because if the father of our faith, Abraham, couldn't do it, if the father of our faith couldn't relinquish control, what hope do you and I have? I mean, every day we're bombarded with decisions where we have the option of trying to take control of a situation or people, how are we going to keep ourselves from making that one mistake? I mean, it is so hard. But, but hear this, friends. Friends. The lesson in all of these stories is not that there were these imperfect people who made the wrong, deci- made the wrong decision and then altered the course of history. No. The lesson in all these stories is that you had these imperfect people and God was still sovereign over their bad decisions. God was still in control. And when I read the genealogy of Jesus, you basically see a line of people who tried to take matters into their own hands but ended up producing the Messiah. This is the way God works. Okay, so God is in control even when we make mistakes. That's comforting, but it still begs the question, how do we learn to surrender? How do we learn? How do we make that a daily habit? And I would say this, the only way you can relinquish control is if you truly trust the person you're relinquishing to. Right, the only way you can learn to trust someone is by looking at their track record. Um, A few years ago, work was getting really crazy for me and Carol, and so we decided to use this babysitting service. And uh, we found a babysitter, and we did not know her. It was the first time she came into our home. And first time we met her, we had all these rules, right? We were, I I mean, we weren't gonna just trust anyone with our kids, so we were like, you know, this is when they eat, this is what they're allowed to do, This is what they're supposed to watch. Uh, You can only give them dessert if they've had this much dinner. All these rules. We could not relinquish that control. Why? We didn't trust that person. We knew nothing about her track record. And it makes sense. Well, uh, many of you know uh, Jimmy and Kat Yoon. Kat is our Children and Family Ministry director. And they have four kids, Okay, Amazing kids. Uh, In fact, confession, I have probably compared our kids to their kids okay, at some point in time, okay, Uh, amazing kids, uh, and they're good friends of ours. When we drop our kids off at their house, it's very easy to relinquish control, because we know they know better than we do. They've been through it. We trust them completely. We look at their track record. We say anything we could think of, they've thought of it. We don't need to worry. It's so easy for us to surrender. Well, the gospel is the story of a God who stepped into the chaos that we made, who stepped into the mess we made, and showed us through his life, death, and resurrection that he's got it. That is the track record. He says he's got it. It may not have looked the way people wanted it to look, Jesus may not have been the kind of Messiah people wanted him to be, but at the end of the day, we know on this side of the cross that God was never not in control. And here's the great paradox. The very way Jesus showed the world he was in control was through an act of surrender. When Jesus hung on the cross, you got to imagine the people standing right there next to him looked up and said, it's over. There is nothing we can do now, not realizing that in his surrender was our salvation. When Jesus on the cross cries out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's saying, Dad, this hurts so much right now. This is a pain I've never experienced before in my life, but I'm going to choose to surrender into your hands I commit my spirit because I know you're working all things for the good friends the path to surrender always goes through the cross always and it's only when we learn to gaze at the one who surrendered perfectly the one who saved his life and ours by losing it it's only then that you and I too can release the things that we're trying so hard to control friends i know it's excruciating to let go i know i know it can feel like if you're not the one holding on to this nobody else will i know it feels like if you don't take care of this nobody else will i know it's hard to wait on god especially when waiting means loneliness when waiting presents more challenges in your life. But I'm telling you, paddling upstream will get exhausting after a while, and you will not be able to do it. Stop fighting to control the things you cannot control. Receive the gift of surrender. Receive the gift of not having to plan and predict and orchestrate everything. This morning, may we entrust our hearts and our lives to the one who created us, to the one who knows every hair on our head, to the one who holds the entire universe in the palm of his hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that it's so hard to surrender. We confess that so many times our natural inclination is to be like Saul, to see the world spinning out of control, to see our lives spinning out of control, the people around us, and and, and just this this need to hold on, this need to control uh, situations, to control outcomes, to control results, not realizing that so many times we end up in greater instability and greater chaos. And this morning, we want to come back to the cross in the most beautiful picture of surrender. And we want to lay down the things that we've been holding so tightly to. We want to lay down the situations that we feel that that we're trying to control that aren't ours to control. We want to lay them down at the cross. And we want to trust you. We want to entrust our lives. We want to entrust the people in our lives. We want to entrust... Our circumstances into your hands, knowing that you showed us through your life, death, and resurrection that you have a spotless track record. God, this morning, we acknowledge that you're good, that you're completely in control, and even when we fail, you are never not in control of our lives. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. continues to sustain us every day. Would you teach us the heart of surrender? We love you. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.